Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Good morning, Thrive. How are we doing? Man, it's awesome to watch what God is doing in our young people. Our camp. We sent, uh, I think, a total of about 15 to camp. Uh, they're not all here this morning, which is the most we've ever sent to camp. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Um, uh, I took them about three years ago before uh, Jesse was here and a part of us, before we had a uh, youth leader at that time. And so... I, uh, I took five kids, and I think one was from another church. Uh, so it's just, you know, two, three years later, triple that going, and then it, you're just going to continue to watch God doing that, just grow his church faithfully. Uh, it's really just awesome to see. And, and these are the things that we, that we fight for, that we, that we, when that alarm goes off at 5 or 6 a.m., if you're part of the setup team, that's why you're doing it, to watch what God will do in our lives, in our young people, in, in the kingdom, in Lockport. Um, a few weeks ago, it was very, 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 uh, actually just a week ago, um, came back from a vacation, and uh, Pastor Julian, uh, he, he, he does some events around the city, and every year he does this Lockport prayer, and, and I just, we've done like the sound and the stage and stuff for them for a couple years and we, I just told him we can't do it this year. We're just too booked. And, and, and I said, I can come and pray, but we can't, you know, put it all on for you like we did in the past. I'm sorry. And he's like, no, no problem. And then I, I showed up, and that day they honored us, and they honored me with, like, a gift certificate and, and, and things like that. And, and, you know, these are the things, those are earthly rewards. They're, they're cool, but the eternal things, the things we fight for, the things we, like, God, move, show up in power, do these things in people's lives. This is why we do what we do, we cont- the things we contend for, why we don't throw in the towel, why we don't stop. What happens is, over time, it can begin to wear you down, right? Anybody here, last couple years, just tire you out, right? Anybody here tired of one more person when you walk into a place saying, you know, put on this, are you jabbed, are you, are you this, uh, have, has anybody inspected your face lately, just whatever it is, right? Anybody just like, I, I'm tired, <laughs> you know, tired, no, no matter where you stand on it, you're just it's, it's exhausting, right? You know, somebody goes like <coughs> this in the setting, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> we, were at, uh, we were at an elders, uh, our elders, we met the other night for just our monthly meeting and, and we went out to dinner somewhere and uh, uh, Michael could tell you, um, <laughs> there was somebody behind us, I swear they had stage four of COVID and they were at death's door, just, which is what you want when you're eating. You know, that's what you want. It's just somebody that's, you're like, oh my gosh, why? Why are you here in public? You know, I don't know what was wrong with them. And it's, they're behind you, you know, so you can't do, there's no casual way of being like, you know, uh, can you not be 
here. <laughs> you know, there's no way to do that. But we're in these times and settings that are so wearing and exhausting. This is what we're contending for. This is what we're fighting for, for God to move, for God to move in our lives, for God to move in those, the lives of those around us, for his presence and his power to show up. And man, when it does, it, it, it's an amazing payoff. When God moves like that, and it just takes a moment of God moving that you're like, it's all worth it. You know, two weeks from today, we're going to do baptisms. We're doing our, our Reach Our City service, and that's attached to an all-day event that Cece's putting on. She's got worship teams coming in from around the country. It's at City Hall, in front of City Hall. We've got speakers coming in all day long. So we're going to do our service, and then there's going to be services and stuff going on the whole rest of the day. So you can stick around all day. There's going to be food. There's going to be jump houses. It's going to be an amazing day. But one of the things we're doing that morning is baptisms. We're going to hear from RFK and what God did that week in the team uh, from, from stuff. Scott Hinkle here is coming back, and he's going to share a message. We're going to be doing baptisms. If you have never been baptized, and I don't mean as a kid, when you were a baby, somebody took some water and put it on your head. That's, that's, that's all right. I'm saying, did, uh, have you been baptized? Have you made a conscious decision that says, I'm following Jesus by my own decision, and I want to proclaim that before the world. If you haven't, man, come see us. We want to dunk you. <laughs> okay? We don't hold you under. You come right back up. Okay? If you want us to, we will. No, I'm, I'm kidding. We won't. But please, take that step. Make that public declaration. And days like that, the baptism days, man, those are the days you're reminded this is all worth it. Every, every ounce of the blood, the sweat, and the tears... The, 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 the pain, the, the conversations, the, the, the lack of money, the, it's all worth it when God changes a life. And so we're continuing our series, Repurpose Prayer. And this is one of those moments. This is one of those moments where Elijah prays to the Lord and he's reminded it's all worth it. Elijah's not in a good time. It's similar to us, like somebody else who is in charge of that country, and they're not a good person, okay? King, I think it's King Ahab, his wife is named Jezebel. Anybody ever heard that term, Jezebel? Not a great connotation, right? Nobody wants to be called Jezebel, right? Somebody like, that's my name. Like, I'm sorry. We're so glad you're here. Fill out a connect card. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's not a name anybody wants because it has a bad connotation. Well, it has a bad connotation because of the Bible and who she was. And she lives this terrible life. She's this horrible, awful woman. Uh, and she's brought up again later in Revelation saying this is like a spirit. It's a demonic thing. You don't want to be it. Um, and, and Elijah basically is living in this time and has to confront these prophets of Baal. Now, Baal is not a great god. <laughs> he's, uh, he's pretty bad news, and we're going to talk about that. But Elijah basically is in this ministry, and Elijah is a prophet of God. And he is a prophet who's seen crazy stuff happen. Amazing stuff. And a matter of fact, so much so, Elijah never dies. God spares him death and just takes him up into glory when he finally moves on. Would you... I would love that. Anybody here want that? Like, I don't want to die. You know, uh, uh, like, uh, 
like a, a, some kind of a service, a lift service from heaven comes down, picks me up, takes me back. I'm good with that. Yeah, let's, let's, where do I sign up? I don't know. I don't know how you get on that list. I don't know what that app is, but Elijah had it. He got in on it. He got to go. That's how close Elijah was with the Lord. And Elijah has this moment, and he says, prophets of Baal, come on out. He's picking a fight. And the prophets of Baal, they're not good dudes. <laughs> and a whole bunch of other, when all the prophets of Baal, that's 450 people roughly, are called to come and take on the God of Elijah. And that's where we are. So when that's kind of like me coming in and saying to every other pastor in town, like, let's, show, let's all show up and let's see whose church is the best. And they come, and they're like, let's go. I would never do that. It's not like that now. I think I cheer every other pastor on, want them all to succeed, want God to move in all of them. But that's kind of what it's like, except they're all Satanists, and I'm the good one. That's what's happening with Elijah, right? That's not the case here in Longhorn. They're all good pastors. All right, well, I don't know if they all are, but um, I think most of them. And so, so he calls on God, and he, he says, you know, God, you know, move like this. And, and it, word gets around, and people show up to see, man, this is going to be a showdown. 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah. Let's see what happens. And then I think most people are thinking, Elijah's going to die today. <laughs> Let's go watch somebody die. See, they didn't have TV. There were no smartphones. So when somebody died, it was like, hey, it's something to watch. You know? So here's what happened. They come out. All right, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36 to 37. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward. So here's what's happened. The prophets of Baal have tried to call on Baal to burn up their sacrifice. Crazy thing. Nothing happened. And Elijah gets up there for his, and he says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I'm your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you are Lord, God, and you're turning their hearts back again. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak now. Continue to speak. Thank you that your presence is sweet in this place today. You would have your way amongst this place. God, you would change our minds. You would change our hearts. And you would move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Elijah prays this prayer. And what happens is, if you read the rest of the story, fire comes down from heaven, consumes the altar just consumes it and he had doused it with water he had done all these things to basically say all right i'm going to show off i'm going to let god show off who he is and you're going to see that i'm not the one doing these things it is god i'm just doing it in his name it's him doing it it's like it's like when nathan said when they prayed for healing nathan didn't heal anybody jesus did right that's what happens god can heal Okay, God can move in power. God does these things. And when he does, it makes it all worth it. Right? And, and I think the Spirit of God was so on Elijah, he was emboldened that day. Like, hey, why don't you invite all those priests? Just bring them all. We'll, we'll, see, who, we'll see what's up. We'll, we'll throw down. So Elijah does a few things. Like, we could tear this apart all day long. All day long but there's a couple things I want to point out 
that what Elijah does, what, the first thing he does is he confronts false gods. So Baal is this God that people worship, and he is not a good God. He's like a fertility God, and that was a very important God in this Canaanite region. And what they would do is they would, they would have, and I'm, kids cover your ears, okay, they would have sex and sexual relations and orgies to worship this God. Because they thought that's how this God would come out of his place to move. You're like, that sounds like a church in Vegas. It does, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like a good... And when that didn't work, you know what else they did? They would offer children as living sacrifices to this God. It was a regular form of worship. Now, modernists would listen to that and be like, oh, that, they were stupid back then. That was just their time, etc. That, that's Those people were so dumb. You know, they were so far and so... So, so just Neanderthals. And, and what I would tell you is, we've done it now. The only difference is we traded out Baal for ourselves. How many people in the last few weeks and months have watched somebody testify before Congress saying, abortion was the best thing I ever did with my life? Because they won their life in the process. Say, well, Pastor Brian just got political. Here we go. He's going to pull out a MAGA flag, isn't he? No. (laughs) No, because this isn't a right and left issue. This is a light and darkness issue. I don't care which side of the aisle picks up this fight or puts it down. It has nothing to do with them. This is a Jesus issue who is the author and finisher of life. He's in charge, we aren't. If he authored a life, we fight for it at every level. Now, I'm not talking about exceptional things. Somebody's like, well, what about an ectopic pregnancy? If something's going to kill the mother and a child, that's between the Lord and their doctor and their family. That's a whole separate conversation. I am talking about the author of life, and do we honor that? Do we fight for that? We believe in that. And you you think, well, why are we talking about this? What does this have to do with confronting false gods? The God of self is a false God. Anybody here live for themselves and find out it wasn't that great? We're never satisfied. We live for the God of life, the author of life. We live for him. And then suddenly we're fulfilled. Because it's not about us anymore. I remember Colin being a baby. And Angela's like, can you just feed him this morning? I'm really tired. This is right when he started solid foods. And I remember like, well, can I just get some coffee first? And he's sitting in the chair crying. And I'm like, do you not understand I need coffee? Like, it's, it's, it's almost as if you don't care. And I have this moment. <laughs> I know this is stupid, but I was 24, so... Show me some grace. And I have this moment where I really, is the Holy Spirit like telling me, it's not about you anymore, dude. And I was like, oh, yeah. 
You know, got some food in it. Then I got my coffee. And I lived through it. I'm still here to this day. I began to realize this isn't about me. You see, and this is something the church has practiced from the beginning. The Romans used to take their children they didn't want. If it was a girl and they didn't want a girl, if it was a child they didn't plan on, they would take it to the river and they would do what's called basically expel them. And they would just leave them at the riverbank and leave them to die. This happened 2,000 years ago. If you think abortion, that we arrived at something new, you are deceived. This is not new. Sin is not new. It's been happening quite a long time. They would leave them at the riverbank and say, well, if the gods want them to live, they will. And Christians, New Testament Christians, would go to the river looking for these children and save them and raise them. We do it now. People say, well, that, yeah, 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 you are pro-life, but you don't, you don't really want to take care of, yeah, 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 you're fine with them, but not when they come out of the womb. First of all, I would tell you that's a total fallacy. It's completely untrue. It's a false narrative. It is a 100% lie. Christians have been doing this from the beginning. There are pregnancy aid centers now. This church here has an adoption fund. If you have a child that you are not able to take care of, you know somebody. We have helped a family who they are no longer with, they moved away, but they, they're, they're, they were working with somebody who was going to give that child up for abortion, and they stepped in and God moved on them and said, we'll adopt your baby, and we helped fund it. That is who the church is. That's who Thrive is. It happens all over the world. The church does this, and people tell you that they don't. It, it's just a lie. It's not true. The people who tell you, yeah, you're pro-life until they come out of the womb, it's not true. Do you know just virtually every orphanage and adoption agency across the globe that was ever started, the first ones, were done by Christians? Because they saw the need for hurting children. We call out false gods. We do it by mouth, but we do it by example, too. We put on RFK. Now, I don't. I just show up once a week. <laughs> but they put on RFK. It's not because we're like, well, that's a good thing. It makes us look good. It's good PR. No. Because the Bible says true religion is caring for the orphan and the widow. That's what we do. So we confront false gods by what we say, but also by what we do. You know, there's this whole movement in the church over the last 15 years or so that basically we eventually called social justice. There's even a big, giant book written about it called The Hole in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns, head of World Vision. And you know what I came to realize after a while? It wasn't true. It was a fallacy. Because the church has been meeting needs like this since the beginning. That the church did not care about meeting needs was never true. Now, it doesn't mean there weren't speakers, missionaries, or some people who didn't care about people's needs. I'm sure. But that wasn't a movement. The church cares about meeting needs. That's what we do. It's who we are. It's the love of Christ. We are in action. We confront false gods with our words and our action. And if you're somebody here today who's like, well, I had an abortion. God loves you. He forgives you. And he can make you whole. It's okay. I have many friends, not one, many women of God who I know who at some point or another made that choice and God redeemed their life and their story. It's okay. You were sold a lie, a lot of them. 
And it isn't all your fault. God's a God who redeems, though. Instead of saying, well, it was my circumstance. No, 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 it's our sin. I don't stand before the throne of the Father and say, look, I was mean to this guy because, you know, this happened to me. No, I own my side of it. I confront the idolatry in my own heart and say, I'm wrong in some things. And I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. That's what we do when we confront false gods. Baal was a horrific god they worshipped. Horrific. We can see that. We can see that now. They couldn't see it then. Matter of fact, it says this uh, in Moody Press. It said, Howard E. Voss wrote, One may question that those ancient enemies of Israel were as evil as the Bible claims that they were. But even at a superficial glance in the Canaanite religion alone, ably demonstrates their iniquity. Base sex worship was prevalent. Religious prostitution even commanded. Human sacrifice was common and a frequent practice in order to placate their gods to kill young children and bury them in the foundations of a house or public building at the time of construction. This is how they worshiped. We are not better did you know, if you're really upset about the Roe v. Wade thing, do you know America has the most extreme abortion laws in the world? European countries don't allow what we allow. Nations that are far more progressive in politically than we are. Why? Because we have given ourselves over the same spirit. It's not a right and left issue. It has nothing to do with it. But it goes, and it goes way beyond that. Elijah saw the brokenness, the destruction that came from these prophets of Baal that was destroying his nation and his people. And he's saying, enough! Wake up! Our God is real. This God is destructive and he's fake. In the end, it's not Baal's fault because Baal doesn't exist. It's theirs. It's ours. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive our complacency. I once worked at a church where the pastor decided, you know, I don't want these pregnancy aid groups coming in anymore because it's too political. And at that time I was younger and I was like, I don't understand that. Now, as a lead pastor, I've been a lead pastor for a few years now, I understand where he got that position from because he didn't want to lose people based on politics. But he, we, the prophets of Baal and the people of Israel have bought the lie that kingdom things are earthly things. And confronting false gods means realizing something spiritual when we thought it was just natural. It's looking at our days and our times and saying this isn't a right-left thing. This is a Jesus thing. I don't care. It's between you and the Lord which way you vote. That's fine. You wrestle with that with him. But man, you should do so based on the word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We should leave that voting booth. We should go into voting booths and leave them with weeping and tears, saying, God, do something in our nation. We should lead up to our elections this way, and, and we should be posting more prayers than we are partisan politics. 
Please, God, do that in our day and time. Let us be so consumed and lost with you moving that people can't blame us for being political. They're like, no, 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 they're just after Jesus. They just want God to move. They want to be people of the word. What if we confronted the false gods in our lives? Some of you, your false god is your kids. I just want my kids to have a good life. Uh Uh-huh, for what? So they have a good life. I want my kids to follow Jesus. If they follow Jesus, they will have a good life. Doesn't mean they'll have an easy life, but they'll have a good one, because they'll know him. And they'll know even when hard times come. Anybody, any parent find out hard times are coming no matter what you do for your kids? Anybody seen that, right? My parents have watched me. (laughs) But if my kids follow Jesus, the rest will come. Stick with Jesus, stay with, have your kid, confront the false gods. Family can be a false god. If, if your family's over Jesus, you're out of whack. If your politics, if your country is over Jesus, we're out of whack. Jesus, we sing it, right? Jesus over everything. There we go, we listen to the radio. Okay, so Jesus over everything. He reigns supreme. Confront everything that tries to put itself up against the Lord in our life. Everything. Be number one, Lord. And the next thing he does is he cries out to the Father. See, now the prophets of Baal, they got up there and they cut themselves, and they're screaming, and they're wailing, and they're writhing on the ground. Yeah, which is crazy, right? You're like, that sounds like a cult. Yes, it does. (laughs) Because it was. But everybody believed it. The thing about cults is they exist because people believe it. Side note, the enemy only has power, the devil only has power in people's lives to the measure of the lies they believe. That's it. So our country is so messed up right now. Correct. We believe a lot of lies. A lot of them. Many. Some people think, well, the Supreme Court did it. We won. It's done. Oh, man. You believe a lie. There's way more at work here in the kingdom of light and darkness than one decision that sent something back to the states. There's a lot of things at work right now. He cries out to the Father, and he decides, I'm not doing it like them. He comes up, and he has authority, and he has dependence and confidence all at once. We sell a shirt. It's our website. Uh, Kyle uh, Kyle made it. Eric made the website. And and it it says, Godfidence. Because that's what we believe in. We don't believe in self-confidence. We believe our confidence is in God. So we made up a word, Godfidence. (laughs) My confidence is in him, and he's going to move. I wish I had the faith like Elijah did that day where he's like, watch this. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. But he cries out, Lord, I need you to do it. I need you. And how could he have that kind of confidence? Because he had a close walk with Jesus most of us don't have. He had a close walk with the Lord. He was with him daily. He talked to him all the time. He heard from him all the time. Most of us don't see God move because we aren't moving with God. 
We've created a distance, a gap between him and us. And we come to him when we have need of him. We treat God like Daddy Warbucks instead of Daddy God. Give me what I need when I want it. I'm telling you, God will do more than you can ask, think, or imagine when you're in close relationship with him and not just coming to him for things we need. Cry out to him as Father. I need you. I can't do today without you. Years ago, I remember God speaking to me and, and, and friends in high school and stuff talking about God's a crutch, God's a crutch. And that would get me so mad. You know, I'd be like, Ugh, I wish I had a retort for that. God's on my crutch. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He's like, you know, Brian, you're right. I'm not your crutch. I'm your wheelchair. You get nowhere without me. And that rhythm of life, like you're my dad. I want to always be talking to you. I want to believe you for everything. I want to be in communion with you. I don't want to just see you move. I want to know you. Right? We talked about that last week. Moses, in the end, Moses had seen God's miracles. He watched him part the sea. He watched him pour out ten plagues. He watched him feed his people on a miracle. And Moses' prayer in the end wasn't more of that. It was, I want to know you. What are you like? What makes you laugh? What grieves your heart? What makes you angry? That life brings a boldness in prayer and a boldness to see God move and knowledge that he will. Make me close to you. How many of you, that's your prayer life? Are you coming to dad for a relationship? What is, what's your relationship with the Lord? Or better put it this way, what's your prayer life really like? How much time in a day do you actually talk to God? Well, I got that five-minute commute right before I get to the gas station, then my 45 minutes before work. And that five minutes, I really give it to the Lord. That's something. Something's better than nothing, but that's not a closeness. Anybody here talk to their spouse five minutes a day, and you guys just have a great marriage? If so, write a book. Man, no, it's this, right? It's communion, it's closeness, it's conversation, it's getting to the deepest things. My wife knows things about me nobody knows. Some of you are like, right, I'm going to talk to her after church. Go ahead. (laughs) And she loves me anyway, you know. And some of it, maybe she loves me more because of it. There's something happens in that, that communion, that closeness. You hear from the Lord when you're in a place to listen. You see God move when you're near enough to him to ask. How many of us, we we don't see the fire of God in our lives because we're not really in communion. God's kind of in the ethereal. He's on the fringes. He's, yeah, he's over my life. Like this ceiling's over me. You know what, me and the ceiling, we're not close. I don't talk to it. I don't spend time in this gym just saying, hey, what's going on? Because that'd be weird. <laughs> but that's how we treat the Lord. He's there when I need him. Man. What if we were in saying, God, I, I want to see you move. I want to 
So you just do this great thing. Thing is, in their time, in, Baal's, in this time of Baal, there's a major drought. And because Baal was the fertility god, they thought, we're not calling on him enough to bring rain. You see, rain creating crops was a concept of fertility. And so this should happen, and it wasn't happening. So we're not appeasing Baal enough. So you know what that meant? It went more child and human sacrifice. And this is the moment Elijah walks in on it. He says, well, no, you can't buy my God. You can't buy your way in. You can't sacrifice enough because you can never earn his holiness. Now, Elijah understood something before Jesus, not fully, but partially. That he is a God on whom he wants to show favor on those who would say, I follow you no matter what. And Jesus is the sacrifice that buys our way in that we could never do. So when Elijah offers up his sacrifice of just soaked wood, saying, I, I, got, I got very little, but you and me are close. God's like, I, I see your heart, Elijah. I'm with you. Watch this. And if you don't know the rest of the story, God burned up that altar. Matter of fact, some, some, some theologians actually argue it probably was a lightning strike that eventually consumed it so much, wiped it out. You guys have heard the Kansas story, most of you, right? Where I basically almost burned down Kansas. It's a long story. I'm not going to do it again today. But it's like that, and it, like... It, that fire was so hot, like me to, me to Michael, that's as close as we could get to that fire. That's the fire of God that came down on that fire on, on the day of Elijah crying out to him. Because he cried out to his father who he was close to. Yeah, there's a cool story. There's a, and, and this is a little before my time. I mean, I was, I was around, but I didn't go uh, and I want to recognize, I might, and I'll invite him up in a second. Pastor Jim Nichols is with us and his wife. He's a mentor in my life. He's a phenomenal man of God and pastored for many years and pastored Calvary in Lamont. Um, and just an amazing man of God. Maybe you, you were around. I don't know if you, did you ever visit Brownsville? Did you ever go down? You did. Uh, and I, why don't you come on up, Pastor Jim? But John, John Kilpatrick was the name of the pastor of Brownsville. And this was a cry out to the Lord, and Pastor Jim's going to share in a moment uh, uh, one of his own stories of how God moved in power just recently in his life. But John Kilpatrick, if you don't know, Brownsville went on for, uh, was it five, six years? At least. At least. It's in Florida, okay? And what happened is, one day on Father's Day, which I don't know if you, if you look around, you'll see summer is hard on churches, <laughs> okay? Uh, People-wise, money-wise, it's just part of the deal. People go on vacation, and they were experiencing the same thing. And it's Father's Day. But something happened and triggered on that Father's Day in Pensacola, so much so for the next five or six years, they had services almost every single night for five or six years. Tens of thousands of people came through that church, got saved, got baptized, delivered, healed. I mean, insane stories, documented stories. Anybody here get to Brownsville besides Pastor Dan? Anybody? It's okay if you didn't. No problem. All right. You did. Heidi did. Okay. But John Kilpatrick, there are just stories of him. Before it happened, he would just go into the sanctuary of the church and just cry out, God, there must be more. 
There's got to be more. Show me more. Before God poured out his fire on that church, there was a closeness. Go ahead, Pastor Jim. You know, uh, Brian uh, asked me to share a little story that would tie in with his message about the power that God has to reach down and touch our lives and make changes. I think that, uh, and that's all rooted in prayer. Brian's been emphasizing that this morning. Uh, I was recently uh, serving as an interim pastor at a church south of here, and uh, the topic I was going to be speaking upon the next Sunday had to deal with shame. And so I was praying during that week and asking God to empower me to speak to that topic because that is probably the worst of Satan's prisons, uh, the bondage of shame in a person's life. And it takes nothing short of the power of the Holy Spirit to break down the walls of that prison. And so I was praying that God would empower me to speak to that issue that day. And you know, uh, a little bit about the the prison of shame, the Holy Spirit deals with guilt. Guilt is a good thing. Guilt says, I've made a mistake. The Holy Spirit tells us, you know, Jim, you've sinned. You've made a mistake. Let's, let's bring that to Jesus, find forgiveness, and get back on the path. But Satan perverts guilt into what we call shame, that prison that, that so debilitates and destroys people's lives. Mm. And the message that shame gives is, I'm a mistake. Mm. I am worthless. Mm. God could never, ever forgive me for the things that have taken place in my past, the things that I've done. There is no hope for me. And so, and here's the other thing, deadly thing about shame. Surprisingly, it can begin, and I think very often it does begin to set into our children. Shame gets an early start in the human heart because Satan seeks our children. One of the things I was so, I was almost lifted out of my chair here this morning is seeing the youth in here and the kids on this front row. Powerful, wonderful, praise God for what God's doing here at Thrive through children and youth. It will empower them. It will change the rest of their lives because they're hearing a message of truth here today that breaks the power of the enemy. And again, I don't think there's any prison that Satan has as as bad as shame. But we know there was another showdown in Scripture. We had the showdown with Elijah and the prophets of Baal today. That was sort of a prefigure of the greatest of all the showdowns because when Jesus hung on the cross, the Scripture tells us that he not only bore our sins on that cross, but he bore our shame on that cross. Mm-hmm. Hebrews chapter 2, uh, or chapter 12, verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, that is the cross, Jesus despising the shame, overpowering the shame, thinking, belittling the shame. That's what it means to despise. He took. He died on that cross to set us completely free and to break us free of that bondage. So in the same way that God through Elijah demonstrated his power over the prophets of Baal and evil, if there's a person in this room today that is dealing with shame, with that recurring tape-recorded message, maybe it's been playing in your life since you were a little kid, 
You're worthless. It's almost like you feel embarrassed to even be alive. The message of Jesus today is that he has come to set you free. He already bore that on your behalf. Maybe, the, maybe there, all of us have things in our life that we're not happy about, that we're, proud of, that we're not proud of, that we did that were wrong, that were sinful. All of us, Brian said that. We're all sinners. The Holy Spirit, he speaks to our hearts not to condemn us, right? Condem- condemnation is shame. Jesus, Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that means you, if you've come to Christ, no matter what is in your past, you have freedom in Christ. You are totally forgiven. And shame has no place in your life. You can walk in his freedom and peace. And so I want this to fit in with what you've been saying here today, Brian, that it's the power of Christ to deal with any kind of prison. And, uh, and so my, my, I just, so, what, so when I was uh, interim pastor the, the day that really blessed me at, at the service that day was as I spoke that message on shame, uh, afterward, I learned that there were two young people, they were sisters, uh, in the church that day with their parents. And after the service that day, they went home and they had a lengthy talk with their dad and mom about their struggle with shame. And so much so that the parents got in touch with Jill and I and asked if we would have time to sit down and talk with them. And so we've had three or four meetings with those daughters right now, and probably have some more in the future, even though I'm not the interim pastor there anymore. We just still make that happen. And, uh, because, and, and so that, that underscores that point, that shame can, can f- touch the heart of a young person. And a lot of times we, we push that under the surface, and we never, a person can live with shame in their life, and you would never know it, because we can bury it, we can stuff it, and make ourselves look good on the outside. But... Mm. Um, I'm just grateful that through the power of prayer and teamed up with the word of God that, that the spirit of God can do profound things in our world today in our hearts. God bless you guys. Thank you, Pastor Jim. It's so good. So here's what happens. As Pastor Jim said, when the power of God comes down, Right, the creator shows up with fire. He burns up Elijah's sacrifice. So much so, and then these prophets of Baal who are teaching people to ch- sacrifice children to do horribly lewd acts, they actually, the people rise up and wipe them out. Nothing is left of Elijah's sacrifice because when the power of God comes down, And when the fire of God moves within us, it burns up everything that is between us and him. And we're left with a burning flame that gives us light and life. See, what happens when you're consumed with shame, when the power of God moves upon you, it begins to burn up the shame in your life. And you realize when you encompass all that he is and and see all that he is, all that the enemy said you weren't is burned up. 
when you're like, I, 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 could never, I could never believe that about my life. Man, when you get consumed by the Lord, you can believe anything, that God can do anything with you and through you. You never give up because the fire of God burns within you and becomes all-consuming. I just can't stop coming back to that moment that Larry, Pastor Larry Stockstill, not Larry Stockstill, but uh, I forget his name, but John Kilpatrick prayed at Brownsville. He just kept crying, God, there must be more than this. I am not satisfied. Burn me up, Lord. Consume me. Every part of me. Consume me for your kingdom. I want to share something that is not in my notes, but I feel like it's from the Lord. And I feel like this may lead us to where we're supposed to go as we're about to wrap up. I was listening to a podcast this week, and it was from... uh, it's on the reel with Adam McCain, but he's interviewing the the people who started Upper Room, which is a it's a local church now. It's not what it started as, but it's a local church now in Dallas. Three hour services every time. You're like, is that our model? That's not our model. Relax, okay? We can't afford the rent. So, <laughs> um, but. But if you don't know, I mean, they're putting out a lot of worship right now. They became really popular from the worship they're putting out, and it's awesome. And she she shares the, the her name's Larissa, and she shares this, what basically turned into this prophetic dream she had. And in this dream, she's she's a bride. She's about to get married, and she's in she's in a place trying on dresses. But they keep bringing her dresses that make her look sexy and attractive. And they're revealing. And, and, and at some point she finally says, you know, I don't, I don't want to wear this anymore. Uh, can, I, can you just bring me something beautiful? I, want, I don't want to look sexy on my wedding. I want to look beautiful. And she wakes up and she feels the Holy Spirit tell her, this is what my church, especially in America, has been doing for a long time. They keep trying to look sexy to the world instead of presentable to its groom. been consumed with all the wrong stuff, guys. I'll be more, more, I want to see this room filled with people who are changed by the love of God, but I don't want to see it filled because we're so attractional and sexy, but we're, we're we're not beautiful to our King. I want to be consumed for the times I haven't been even as your pastor I'm sorry but I want to be but I want to be consumed thank you so much for spending some time with us we hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God visit us online anytime at encounterthrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10.
you take